I hate to interrupt, but we're going to start listening to the Bible now. Yes, <laughs> you have to turn around again. <laughs> but you can enjoy it while you're listening. If you turn um, to page 450 in the Black Bibles, we're going to read Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 13 to 22. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. And now to verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, A lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants devoured them and and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head, He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. The second reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction, 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is the word of our Lord. Well, happy daylight saving. And uh, summer is a coming, so that's very exciting news. Uh, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us so clearly, that you address issues uh, that we feel and experience day to day. And so we pray and thank you for the book of Job and uh, ask that we would be transformed by it. For your glory and our joy. Amen. If you ever met a guy like Job, you would never forget it. He was the kind of guy that you uh, wanted to be mates with, your daughters to marry, or for you to be, have as a next-door neighbor. If you saw him down the street, you would get a selfie with him. Hashtag just met Job, Job hashtag legend. Like he, he was a great guy. He was well-respected in his community. Uh, he was well-off financially. Uh, he was a great dad. He cared for his children. Looked after them spiritually. He was the kind of guy who was all about justice. He hated evil and served his creator. But the thing about Job is, the reason why we remember him thousands of years later was not his popularity or his parenting style or his prosperity, but it was how he responded to suffering. Because in a matter of moments, his life changed forever. He received news that his, his, his business was in ruins. His superannuation was gone. All his employees were murdered. And his children that he loved so much died. Seven boys, three girls. Some of you know what it's like to receive news that changes your life forever. To get that phone call. And to make matters worse, uh, he, Job gets a skin disease that covers him head to toe. And the only relief is getting pottery and scraping out the pus. And if you saw Job in this situation, if you came across him, what would you do? What would you say to him? How would you respond? We're going to look tonight at how the people in Job's life responded to him. How his wife, how his mates, how his family members responded to Job's situation. And we're going to look at how we can respond to people in our lives who are going through grief and suffering and pain. We're not going to look at the question of if God is good, why is, it, why is there suffering? That's, that's for another day. But it's important to know how to respond because, I mean, we know the statistics, right? One in three will have cancer. One in three will have miscarriage. People we know will get divorced, become bankrupt, suffer from anxiety, depression, MS, chronic pain. Loneliness, grief. What are we to do? How, what are we to say in these situations? And really our goal is what Kevin read for us, the 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 passage, where our goal is to comfort those in any kind of affliction through the comfort we, receive, we ourselves have received. So that, that's the goal. We're going to look at seven things not to do before we move on to three things to do from the book of Job. All right, you ready? First thing, what not to do. First thing is, t do not talk about yourself, right? 
This is a hard one, but this is what one of Job's mates does, Elihu. He says in Job 32, he says this, I am young in years while you are old, old Job. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. Pretty good so far, but hang on, wait. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I too will declare what I know. Look, wait for your conclusions. I listened to your insights as you sought for words. I paid close attention to you. I too will answer. Yes, I will tell you what I know. And he does. Five chapters worth. He likes to impart his wisdom. He wants to tell Job what he should think. What it's like. It's like the story of three ladies who go to see their friend Jane in the hospital who's recovering from back surgery. And the first lady says, oh, Jane, how are you going? Because, you know, my back's been playing up a bit too. And the second lady says, well, you know, I saw the other day my neighbor fell from a ladder. And the third lady says, well, that reminds me of the time when I was up at Central Coast. And they just forget the fact that Jane is in bed with recovering from back surgery. It's where it's all about us and our experiences. It's where we say, oh, you have cancer. I know someone else had cancer. We say, you're not the only one. Or we say, I know what you're going through. I I know how you're feeling. And can I just say, even if we do know, if we've been through a similar thing, the way they're feeling is going to be completely different to the way you're feeling. Your experience is different to their experience. A friend of mine, uh, his dad passed away when he was about 15. And a friend of his came up and said, I know what you're going through. I had a dog die once. And I said to him, did you kind of want to punch him? He said, yes. You know, <laughs> He's just so insensitive because he doesn't know. But we want to bring our experience. We, we want to talk about us. But don't do it. Because it ignores them. And it is so hard not to talk about ourselves. right? But don't do it. The second thing is, we should not link their suffering to sin. Right? You know, you're sick because you've done something wrong. And Job's friends, they can't understand why Job is suffering. He, he must have done something wrong. He must have sinned. They say in Job 4, Well, consider Job. Who has perished when he was innocent? Where have the honest been destroyed? And in Job 8, If you are pure and upright, then he, God, will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. In other words, you must be feeling this way because you haven't been to church much. You must be feeling this way because you've been a bad friend. This is, the Bible's not on about karma, right? Jesus squashes that idea in John 9 and Luke 13. Because the problem with it is we don't know why people are suffering. Only God does. So don't play God. So don't link, don't link sin to suffering. The third thing is don't belittle their experience, right? In Job 4, his mates say to him, Indeed, you have instructed many, Job, and have strengthened weak hands. Your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knee that were buckling. But now that this has happened to you, you have become exhausted, it strikes you, and you are dismayed. In other words, come on, Job, practice what you preach. You know, take some of your own medicine. Cheer up, it's all right. It's when we say, well, it could be worse. At least you're alive. Or when we say to people, well, time heals all wounds. Or haven't you moved on yet? We, we belittle their experience. 
I know people who've suffered from chronic fatigue who've been told, just get more sleep. Or chronic back pain, just get a massage. Or have had a miscarriage, well, you can always have another child. We, we belittle their experience and squash it. The fourth thing, what not to do, is to dismiss or just walk away, right? It's sort of getting too hard, so you just leave. A mate of mine was talking to a minister, right? And he was quite concerned because he was going blind and it wasn't looking good and he's telling the minister this and the minister said you know what i just need to talk to this person over here and walked away and that's the minister right we're tempted to do it right we, we might not walk away but we'll change the topic you know we'll say would you see the game on sunday you know well you know i saw a guy the other day wearing socks and sandals that was pretty weird you know we'll just change the topic to whatever because we're too uncomfortable But don't walk away. The fifth thing, what not to do, is to encourage them to reject God. Job's wife is an interesting character in the book of Job. Uh, He loses everything but his wife, but maybe he wanted to lose her. She gives some bad advice, right? In Job 2, she says this, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. It's like she's just gone down the washing on the line and come back oh are you still here job die already like she's this is her intention give up already look what god has done reject him and we might encourage people to say oh well look this is unfair don't pray give up who cares the sixth thing not to do is to be positive all the time you know someone's grieving and we can't handle it and so we we need to focus on the good, so we tell a joke. When we come in with this big, bright, yellow smile, and we think, it's my job to make them happy. And we say things like, you must be very special for God to give you this. Or, or God needed another angel. That's why he took your daughter or son home. Or we might even quote Romans 8.28, right? God works for the good of those who love him. But that is not a helpful verse at all when someone is in pain or suffering. They can quote it to you, but you should not quote it to them. Because it's all about being happy. Don't, don't focus on the bad. Be happy. Be happy. This is good. I mean, how would you respond to Job's words when he says this in Job 3? May the day I was born perish. And the night they said, a boy is conceived. If only that day had turned to darkness. May God above not care about it, or light shine on it. May darkness and gloom reclaim it, and a cloud settle over it. That's not very joyful, is it? That's not very happy. But it's okay. He's lamenting. And lamenting in the Bible basically means this sucks. It's, it's weeping. It's harrowing. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, and it's okay to let people be in that moment. And it may be a long moment but that's okay. The seventh and final thing of what not to do is to tell people if you have more faith, if you trust God more, then you'll be healed. I think this one is particularly cruel, right? I was talking to a mate of mine who, his name is Jebba, and uh, he went through some brain, uh, he had a brain tumor and, and went through chemo and that kind of thing. And I asked him why, he was told this a number of times, have more faith and you'll be healed. And I asked him, why, why is this so offensive? And he said, two reasons. First is this. When you're going through what I'm going through, physically you're exhausted. 
relationships are strained, financially you're spending a lot on the treatment, and you just, you're at wit's end. And the only thing you've got is God, and you're holding on to him. And then someone comes along and says, I don't think you really trust him. I don't think you really have faith in him. And he said, that's just crushing. And he said, the second thing is, it's kind of a backhanded compliment to the person. Because what they're implying is, they're healthy, so they trust God. But you're sick, so you don't trust God. And in the end, Job says to his mates these words in Job 19, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You have humiliated me ten times now, and you mistreat me without shame. Our words can be crushing. These, Job's mates' words to him were crushing. Did they touch him? No. But they left deep scars. And some of you are probably thinking, you know what, James? Four out of seven. Four, I did, I've done four out of the seven of those things. And that was just this, this week, you know. And to be honest, I've done many of these things too, right? When I think back and I'm like, yep, talked about myself. Yep, ignored that one. You know, we just do these things. And often they come from a good place, right? We're trying to help people, but they're not helpful. And it would be wrong of me to say, don't do these things. All right, now we're going to do these things. It would be wrong of me just to do that, right? To switch gears like that. Because in the end, it would just leave God feeling angry with us, us feeling guilty and our friends still in pain. It would be wrong of me to leave you there because God doesn't leave Job's friends there. At the end of the book, God says this in Job 42, Then my servant Job will pray for you. And I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you, O Job's friends, as your folly deserves. See, Job, the innocent sufferer, asked for forgiveness from God for his friend's foolishness. And brothers and sisters, we have a greater Job, Jesus Christ, who was the innocent sufferer, who asked for forgiveness to God for us, who stands on our behalf for the times that we have walked away from an uncomfortable conversation, for the times that we've talked about ourselves, from times when we've not helped people, the times we've said wrong or inappropriate things, that Jesus forgives us for those moments. And, and when God sees us, right, he sees his son when he looks at us, if we've trusted in him. He sees his son Jesus who loved people, who wept with those who wept, who never said a crushing word, who was the perfect comforter and healer. And if we see ourselves the way God sees us because of Jesus, then that'll motivate us to not only restore the, the, the comments that we've made, to ask for forgiveness, but enable us to want to be a true comforter to people in grief and pain. So let's look at three things of what to do. What, what do you do? The first thing is this, listen. In Job 2, Job's friends start off pretty well, right? And then it goes downhill. But they start off pretty well. It says this in, verse, in chapter 2 of Job. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and seven nights, but no one spoke a word to him because 
they saw that his suffering was very intense. This was the best thing they could have done, and they did it. And you're thinking, what, what did they do? Nothing. Exactly. They, they sat with him and they listened. Not, uh, listening is such a beautiful thing, right? It is a very hard thing to do, but it's such a beautiful thing to do. When we feel listened to, think about the times you've been listened to, and you feel loved, right? You feel appreciated. Not, not someone's come and given you more advice or, or counseled you or, or spoken at you, but, but listened to you. Where we sympathize by asking questions. We don't presume we know what they're going through. We ask questions. We say, that's terrible. Do you want to talk about it? What's it like? See, Job's friends presumed. Not once they ask Job, How's, how, what is giving you hope in this? I'm sorry, what, 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 I'm, what could I do? They don't ask questions. They presume. And listening is a hard thing, right? It's actually harder than talking. But if you listen with someone, it means you've got to stand, look them in the eye, face them, not be distracted by other things that are happening in the room. It might be talking back to what they've said. So, so you're saying you're, you feel lonely. Listening is a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And if someone is crying, right, or, or in the midst of grief and, and weeping, it might just be as simple as putting a hand on their shoulder and saying, I'm sorry. And that's it. They're not going to feel awkwardness by the silence. You might, but you can, you can suck it up, you can cop it. But being okay with the silence. And you know you've done a good job when, in listening when someone says, thank you, this has been very helpful. The second thing to do is to offer help. In Job 42, it says this, All his brothers and sisters and former acquaintances came to his house and dined with him in in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversaries the Lord had brought on him. It's saying, let me know if I can help you. Can Can I cook you a meal? Can I mow your lawn? Can I give you a lift to the hospital? Is there anything practically that I can do to help you? It might even be simply writing a card, right? Text message emails, they're nice, but a handwritten letter in this digital age of ours is such a precious and rare thing. It might be something like that. And the third and final thing is to pray. On the screen is what I think is the saddest verse in the whole of Job. Job had prayed for his friends. I find that so sad. Why is Job praying for his friends Shouldn't it be his friends praying for Job? People are so thankful when, when we pray for them, right? And often as Christians, we'll, we'll say a line like, that's terrible news, I'll pray for you during the week. But can I encourage us to actually pray then and there? When someone has shared news that that's, hasn't been good, say, can I pray for you right now? Because prayer is a beautiful thing. It just simply means ask. And, and we, we give it to the God who listens to us and who can do something about it. See, in these situations, no joke, you will probably feel nine times out of ten, I cannot do anything. I can't fix this. I can't help. I, I, you, you might feel helpless, and you probably will. But you can do something, and that is pray for them then and there. Let me end, I'll end this by telling you a story. 
There was a guy called Tommy uh, at the church I used to go to at the cathedral as part of a traditional morning service. And Tommy came in and he was a massive guy in his Navy uniform. Came to the service and at the end I noticed that he was crying. And so I went up to him and asked, you know, is everything all right? Do you want to talk about it? And, and he shared about how he was about to be uh, going to obviously a Navy vessel over for a year um, near East Timor. And he was overwhelmed with the loneliness that was about to face him. He said goodbye to his family and his girlfriend and was entering a situation of, of loneliness and he was just overwhelmed by it. And I tell you, I so wanted to share my experiences, right? Times I was lost and alone in the woods and you know, I, I just had, had to bite my tongue. Don't talk about me, right? I just had to ask what's it like? What, what are you going through? And, and just to listen. And at the end, I was honest. I said, look, Tommy, I, obviously I can't do anything for you, but would it be okay if I pray for you? And he was a little taken back, but he said, no, yeah, that would be good. And so I prayed for him. I prayed that God would give him comfort and that he would know that God is with him. Um, uh, to my knowledge, this guy's not a Christian, but uh, at the end he said, thank you. I'm glad I came. This has been very helpful. And all I did was listen and pray. Can I encourage us, when people share grief or pain or suffering online, whatever it might be, to listen to them and to pray for them. How different Church by the Bridge would be if we were a church who listened and we prayed then and there. When, when someone after church shares that they're a bit nervous about starting their new job or, or maybe retiring and we say, can I pray for you now and do it. Where someone shares that they've got their mum or their, their loved one is, is going through a diagnosis or some tests that could be a bit iffy. To say, can I pray for you right now and do it. Because the devil would love you to believe that you're too young to pray. That you need to go to Bible college to do it. That you need to reach a certain level. The devil would love to remind you of your pathetic prayer life. But you know what? God wants you to know that you're never too young. God wants you to know that you don't have to reach a certain level, but it will be like a child talking to his dad. God wants you to know that because of Jesus, he listens to every single one of our prayers as if he's facing us one on one, eye on eye. And we can pray to a God who is the true comforter and healer, who hates evil and suffering and cares and can do something about it. And we get the joy, we get the privilege, we get the honor of partnering with other people and bringing our grievances, our pain, our suffering to our great God. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before we do that, we're going to say a confession together, declaring that we have often failed to do what we should do. So we're going to say this together, and then I'm going to pray. So join with me on the screen together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge with shame the sins we have committed by thought, word and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for all our misdoings. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. 
for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life. To the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.